Welcome to Freedom Fellowship Church in Kakana, Wisconsin. We are a non-denominational, Bible-teaching Christian church. Visit us at cometofreedom.com. We hope you're encouraged by God's Word. Here's Pastor Landon Churchill with today's message. Let's open up to Matthew 22. We're going to go through this passage together this morning. We're going to pick it up in verse 15. We left off last week uh, considering some of these Pharisees. And uh, we pick right back up with these guys. And I want you us to remember as we jump into this this morning how just a few days before Passover, the lambs that would be examined for Passover, um, they wanted to make sure that there wasn't any blemish with them. And this is kind of what's been going on. This is why Jesus is there in Jerusalem. And there is the Sheep Gate. How many of you guys have heard of the Sheep Gate before? How many of you guys have been to the Sheep Gate few of you guys, right? Um, did the sheep over in Israel look like those? <laughs> a little skinnier? <laughs> Anyways, the sheep gate there, it's on the north part of the Temple Mount, okay? Uh, from the original uh, Passover, which we can jot down, Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, that's where we first read about it being implemented there. Um, just a few days before Jesus' last Passover on earth, and God the Father allows his son, the Passover lamb, to be examined, being without blemish. That's what's happening here. We have these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these scribes coming and trying to find fault in him, and they can't do it. And this is where this is all going down. I think that's so cool to think about. Peter tells us, and I want you to jot down this scripture, First Peter Chapter 1, verses 18, 19, read the whole chapter. But Peter tells us that we were redeemed, us believers in Christ, those of us who put our faith in him as our Savior. It tells us that we're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. I want to think about that with you guys before we jump into Matthew's account this morning. Without spot inside so in and of itself okay jesus there was it was all good on the inside some of us were kind of a mess on the inside people might look like hey you got it all together you look pretty good you're doing the right things you take care of yourself if they knew what was going on on the inside but jesus okay this spotless lamb inside and in itself he was perfect also without blemish in other words, that would be the outside, okay? Contracted by uh, contact with others. So the examiners that came, uh, they were none other than the religious party leaders of that day. So the examination, three complicated questions, which we're going to cover today. And I think before we jump in and get my thoughts, we always should look to Dr. Seuss. What did Dr. Seuss say about questions? Well, he said, sometimes the questions are complicated, but the answers are simple. That's one thing I love about Jesus. They come like, oh, we got them. And Jesus is just like, and that's it. You're done. I love that about him, right? So there's three complicated questions and three simple answers. And if you're an outline taker, we're going to look at the Pharisees, the Herodians that ask a political question. And I know it's one that we all love talking about paying taxes, right? And then the Sadducees come and they have this hypothetical question about, hey, in the resurrection, whose wife? And then the scribe comes finally with a real question. What's the first, what's the greatest commandment? 
And then we're going to have Jesus ask a personal question, who is the Christ? So, Matthew chapter 22, let's look at the first question, which is a political one in verses 15 to 22. And it's about, about whether or not we should pay taxes. Verse 15, then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true. You teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived the wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they bought him, or they brought to him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. So it's hard to imagine taxes being controversial, right? No way. This here, guys, is a tribute tax. Okay, They were paid by those who were conquered. Okay, Not by Roman citizens, just by the ones who were conquered. Now that's important for you and I. And we'll get to that in a moment. But I want to check out these Pharisees. I want to have an understanding of who these guys are and why they come with such a question. They were the religious. They were the strict separatist Jews of the day, totally opposed to the Roman rule. Okay? They were bummed. The scepter had been taken away from them. Okay? They didn't have a right to rule any longer. Then we have the Herodians. Okay? These guys were part of the Jewish political party who sympathized with Rome. We have Sadducees that are going to come up. They were a Jewish sect. They were more concerned with politics than they were about religion. And they worked hard to keep the peace and agreeing and sympathizing with the decisions from Rome. So the Pharisees would be considered what we would say extreme right-wingers. And then we'd have the Herodians, the Sadducees, would be extreme left-wingers. So this little word that we see, entangle, that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to catch Jesus in his words. And that's why they came. Ha ha, we're going to get him. Should we... God's people be paying taxes. They wanted to ensnare. That word's also used for hunting or for fishing. And then verse 16, did you guys listen to their flattery? That would work on me probably, but not Jesus, right? Okay, Jesus knew exactly. They come and call him teacher, okay? But they have no intention about learning anything from him. That's not why they came. So flattery, Jesus wouldn't fall for it for a minute. According to Hindu law, lying is only justified in two cases. In saving another's life, okay, one person's life, and also in paying a compliment to a woman. Those are the only two times <laughs> where you're allowed to lie as a Hindu. Now, Jesus surely didn't take these as compliments, okay, but only as a setup. You guys see? You guys see what's happening here? Okay? 
So this denarius that comes up, Jesus asked for one. It's a silver coin used to pay the poll tax. Okay, introduced by the Romans in 6 AD. It was a constant reminder that they were a subject people. Okay, this is how they would buy, sell. They had to have this. And every time they exchanged it, what did that speak to the Jewish people? Oh, we are in subject, in subjection to, to Rome, to Caesar. So if you observe the front of it, the Im- image here is of Emperor Tiberius Caesar, abbreviation and inscription are on there, which say Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. So to reveal their hypocrisy, Jesus asked them to produce one. So you are carrying one around. Tell me his name, okay? And it's not going to be Augustus, the revered one, not going to be Diviflaus, which is the son of God, or it's not going to be Tiberius, for he was such a wicked emperor. So the most neutral, hey, Caesar's inscription's on here, okay? So Jesus was able to move the discussion from politics to principle. And I think that is a good thing for us to learn as believers to do the same. Because let me tell you what, some of you guys love talking politics. You can do it all day. But if you don't get to the principle, you're wasting your time. And Jesus does a great job. Great politics. Let's talk about what really matters here. And what matters? Well, render to Caesar what is Caesar. So the coin bears his picture. It has Caesar's name upon it. It must belong to him. And whatever belongs to him, you should give back to him. So this little word here, render, give back or pay back, that's a moral obligation is what Jesus is getting at. So he taught that taxes are a debt. So give back to Uncle Sam or Uncle Caesar. Okay, that's what Jesus is getting at. So this strong word render in our text then infers taxes as being a citizen's debt to the government in return for services that are rendered. Today, this is still heralded as one of the single most influential political statements ever made in the history of the world. And it was actually decisive and determinative in its shaping what our society, our civilization, the West, how we roll and how we think and how we work. So what bears Caesar's image belongs to him. What bears God's image belongs to him. So Caesar's image was on the coin. God's image was on what? Man. We've been created in the image of God. So this helps order and prioritize the believer's allegiance in this life. So render to God. So he reminds them of the greater responsibility. This is what Jesus is getting at. You want to talk taxes? No, what matters? Okay, We have responsibility to our creator. Our first allegiance has to be to God. Aramis said this, give back to God that which has the image in the superscription, did I say that right? Of God, which is our soul. So we bear his image. Do we take that for granted, brothers and sisters? Man, we bear the image of God. So believers, we all have been minted in heaven. Okay, all humans are made in the image of God. Okay, we are God's coin. We're told in 2 Corinthians 1.22 that he set his seal of his ownership on us and he put his spirit in our hearts. 
That's pretty cool. That's for the children of God. This is what we've been bought with a price. We are his. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We are his. So if you remember last week, I said that even though man has deteriorated the image, uh, this image, by our sin, yet we still maintain the status. But do we bear his signature on our hearts? That is the most important part about any of us. You see, in the ancient world, they had these wax seals. Owners would take a ring and they would press it into hot wax and they would see, that's my seal. Okay, you've been sealed. Okay, my signet ring here. So the Holy Spirit does that with us believers. He warms us, he makes us impressionable, and then he presses his image, his character into us. So now, not only an H for human impressed upon us, But at salvation, the Holy Spirit has further pressed another H upon our souls, saying that we are His. Isn't that cool? We're no longer our own. We've been bought with a price. We are His. I love it. So, do you guys like how Jesus handled these guys? Yeah. So you guys who have issues with taxes, pay them. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. There's a brother in Christ I used to like a lot. He got thrown into jail for not paying taxes. But a ton of people came to Jesus while he was there. <laughs> so cool. Anyways, let's talk about a hypothetical question real quick. Uh, verses 23 to 33 here brings up this question. Hey, in the resurrection, whose wife will this woman be? So let's read the context here to give clarity. In verse 23, the same day. So it's not like, hey, these Pharisees showed up. They're asking these hard questions. You know, I'm thinking like, hey, when did this happen? Like a minute later, an hour later, what's going on? So these Sadducees, they come and who say that they're, they, they say there's no resurrection in verse 23, but they came to Jesus and asked him saying, teacher, Moses said that if a man dies, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. And likewise, second also, and a third, even to the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, wait a minute. And these guys just, aren't they Sadducees? They don't believe in the resurrection. What are they doing? Anyways, we'll talk about that in two weeks from now. Catch this, okay? Therefore, in the resurrection that we don't believe in, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. And then Jesus, verse 29, answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Sorry, Mormons, Muslims. But are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am God of Abraham, of the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teachings. They were blown away. Okay? That's why I like the word of God. This is good stuff. Okay? Pep talks are nice, but there's something about the word of God that just hits us. Just like, yeah, 
That is awesome. Needed to know that. That is right. This is encouraging. Sadducees sure aren't. Do you guys know why they're sad, you see? Because they don't believe in a resurrection. There's no afterlife. That's an easy way to remember what the Sadducees believe. Okay? So, I believe they think they can take this country bumpkin from Galilee, but whoo-hoo, they're mistaken too, just like those Pharisees. Anyways, they thought they'd publicly show how ridiculous this idea of the resurrection was. So they didn't believe in it, the existence of the soul or life after death, the resurrection, final judgment, angels, demons, you guys can read about that in Acts 23. But the first thing they come to in verse 24 here is they cite this Leverite marriage custom that we find all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5. So basically, if a man dies childless, his brother was to marry the widow, and then the first child would legally become the heir of that deceased father. Thus, the family line would not die out. So in verses 25 to 28, this was probably said sarcastically. It seemed like a perfect argument, as most arguments are, that are based on hypothetical situations. Okay? Resurrection is not restoration of life as we know it. It is the entrance into a new life that is different. Okay? Radically different. So see, they made this fundamental mistake of measuring the life of heaven by the life of earth. We can't do that. They're radically different, okay? Very different, aren't they? So if you look at verse 29 here, Jesus rebukes these proud, sophisticated religionists. They should have known both the scriptures and the power of God, but they didn't. Let me ask you guys, do you know the scriptures and the power of God? I sure hope so. Sure hope so. There's a lot of people that believe in the power of God but don't know the scriptures so well. <laughs> a lot that know the scriptures but don't believe in the power of God at all. Well, God wants us to know both. And I, I want us here at Freedom Fellowship to know both. So they should have been in a place of knowing these things and they didn't. And they failed to actually notice what Moses did teach about life after death. Okay, verse 26. We also see Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. And then in verse 30 here, he brings in these like angels. Okay, Jesus didn't say we would become angels. Okay, have you ever heard that after someone's passing? Oh, they're better off now. They're now an angel and they're going to watch over me. And that is so unbiblical. But I'm going to lie to you because I wear a robe. <laughs> Sorry. Seriously, you guys don't want to miss studying two weeks from now, okay? Jesus, you think this might be in your face? Read chapter 23. Do your homework. Read ahead. It's going to be good. But anyways, back to the thought of these angels. Um, we're going to be like them in the sense that they're sexless, okay? Uh, there's no marriage that is going to exist in heaven. You're not going to have your 70 virgins. You're not going to have a planet to yourself and have sex forever and multiply the planet with your own babies. Um, if no death in the afterlife, then no need for uh, the propagation of human race. So whatever has been good and valuable here on earth 
will be enriched in heaven. You guys can jot down with me. Psalm 16, verse 11. In your presence is what? Fullness of joy. Isn't that cool? At your right hand is pleasure forevermore. This morning before service, we had prayer together upstairs, 845. Please come next week. Or actually, we're doing a potluck next week, the following week. Um, Yeah, but there's just something. We read Revelation 4 and 5, and we got a picture of that heavenly scene. Worship abounding in heaven. These gnarly beasts constantly before the throne of God. They don't sleep. They don't slumber. What are they doing? They're worshiping God Almighty day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I mean, that is an awesome scene. I can't wait to get there. It's going to be great. But there's something about the reality of being in his presence. There is joy. We get little glimpses of it here. I like worshiping with you guys, but I know it's not going to be you know, even as close as cool as once I'm finally there before the throne of God. That's going to be awesome. I'm so excited to be able to worship with you guys there one day. But in his presence, there's fullness of joy and his right hand pleasures forevermore. And that's why I've often wondered about those crazy beasts that are before the throne of God. They got six wings. They could be flying anywhere. Do you guys know that? Okay, but what do they do? They stay right there. Because there's nothing better than being in the presence of God. Do you guys get that? Nothing better. <sighs> and if you've been trying to find pleasure in other things and it ain't working, get with Jesus, okay? That's what your soul is longing for. That is what you're looking for. All right. In heaven, there's no reduction of love. We will be ourselves at our ultimate best. We will be more capable of loving others than ever before. And the coolest part, we're going to be like Jesus. Isn't that cool? When we see him, we will be as he is, 1 John 3, 3. Awesome! So it's always a mistake to create heaven in the image of earth. Don't do it, okay? Have you guys ever read any books? I went to heaven. Read any of those? Yeah, I'm just like, yeah, you don't have a clue. It's beyond anything we can think or imagine, guys. It's going to blow us away. I can't wait. So, verse 31 and 32, the Sadducees demanded scriptural proofs for doctrines, but they held primarily only the books of Moses as their religious authority. So Jesus quoted to them Exodus 3, 6, since there was no chapters or verses he refers to the burning bush passage which you can find in mark's account chapter 12 verse 26 but the key is i didn't want that there we already had the i am we're looking at verse 32 right now i am okay um i love because this is i think the key word in the passage he didn't say i was did he no i am i am am the god of abraham wait a minute buddy (laughs) you lived thousands of years ago what are you talking about jesus how could you be his god origin said this it is ridiculous for god to say that he is the god of men and have no existence so jesus here makes the application see there was a problem their problem here was they had no vital relationship with god Okay? None whatsoever, just a dead ritual. This is all you have 
is your dead rituals. Okay? If you don't have a relationship with God and you come here to church on Sundays, I feel bad for you. That's a dead ritual. How boring for you. You should have slept in today. You're wasting your time. Okay? The reality is God wants relationship with us. And if anything, if you aren't saved, hopefully you're provoked by the word of God that you see, whoa, I've fallen into the same act these Sadducees have fallen into. So, when you've experienced the resurrection of your own from dead, the former dead spirit, and now you're born again, you're made alive, it's easy to believe in the resurrection of the body later. I know some people really trip out. The resurrection's hard to believe. But if you're a born-again Christian, isn't it really easy for us to believe? He's resurrected me. <laughs> I'm alive. I was dead. I'm born again. I know the truth. I know God. He's my dad. This is awesome. How could that ever happen? But it did. So to say the resurrection of the body can't happen, how ridiculous. Anyways, let's move on to the real question for us this morning. Lord willing, Oh boy, I missed some highlighting. That's all right. The real question, let's look at verse 34 together. Uh, it says, But the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. Don't you love it? He asked for one. Jesus is like, I'm going to give you a bonus. <laughs> Check out the second. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So verse 36, guys, which or what kind is the first commandment of all. The rabbis did a great job of dividing the Old Testament law into 613 different rules, regulations that we had to keep. 248, they considered commandments. 365 of those were prohibitions into weighty and light, okay? Important ones and not so important. Which command was more important? The scribe asked Jesus. So this came from a scribal mind game of the day of trying to reduce the religion in a single axiom, okay? From the example when Rabbi Hillel was promised to give a Gentile or by, uh, or we would convert a Gentile if Hillel would give him the whole of the law just as he stood on one foot. Now again, the whole of the law was what? 613 laws, <laughs> big book. Well, Hillel answered with the version of the golden rule. What you hate or yourself you hate, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole of the law. The rest is commentary. Go and learn it. You know, I loved his response. So this is the kind of answer this scribe was looking for from this brilliant Jesus. Okay, what are you going to tell us about this? And Jesus just simply replies to them the Shema. Okay, and we find that back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, which every pious Jew repeated twice daily. Okay? They knew it well. And that's where Jesus went. 
It first pointed to the unity of deity. The Lord our God is one Lord. And then to man's chief obligation being to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what he got to. So everything devoted to loving God. That's what it's all about. You want to know what the greatest commandment is? It's to loving God with everything. It does not take much of a man to be a believer, but it takes all there is of him. Guys, remember a guy by the name of Lenin? Okay? He was the implementer of communism in the Soviet Union. He had a meeting with a small group of people in London in the early 1900s, and he set down four totals. One being total acceptance to the cause, total dedication to the cause, total discipline to the cause, and total action for the cause. So what was terrible for communism is beautiful for the cause of Christianity. You see, guys, it's exactly what Jesus wants here. How do you love God this way is what Jesus is getting at. Well, if we press meaning into virtual every action of our day, okay, this, this needs to be a part of all that we do. So see not only the meaning, but also the purpose of it in our lives, in our labor, okay? So flipping pancakes, do it for the glory of God, okay? Drive your car like you're chauffeuring Jesus, okay? Maintain God's presence within you, by that communion of your heart with Him. Don't make your life complicated or religious. Be authentic. Be sincere. Be regenerated. The regenerated you, okay? As you are being conformed into His image. And then for good measure, He added a second one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So a total love for God and a sensitivity uh, you know, to others. Loving them realizing, hey, this is what my neighbor is up to. How can I love them? In Mark's gospel, the scribe was favorably impressed. You guys can jot down Mark 12, verse 32 to 34. But he was beginning to get deeper spiritually, um, understanding what Jesus was actually getting at, that this is a real faith, and this is something that needs to be understood believes so he was a thinking man he was an honest man he was not a coward he 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 faced it head-on the implications that that would mean to love god as our highest priority and that's a reason why a lot of people don't come to god is because they know what god is asking of them you're all in all of you is to love me if you're gonna follow me and we don't like that, you know? And that's why there's a lot of churches that are really growing really fast today because they're teaching that it's not all God, all in. It's, hey, you can add Jesus to all the stuff you want in life. And if you add him to it, then you got your you know, ticket to heaven one day and your life will be even more blessed and good. And that's not what it's all about at all, okay? It's very simple. It's what Jesus told us. You love God, Okay? doesn't matter what circumstances or what that means. There's one God. You love him with everything. Period. Pretty simple. So Mark 12.34, speaking of this 
scribe, it says he was not far from the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? He was not far from the kingdom of heaven. Well, it means he's facing truth honestly. Okay, He's not interested in defending the party line or even his personal prejudice. So his attitude was right and his heart was open. Jesus' words were deliberately ambiguous to make him think further and hopefully turn interest into commitment to turn this admiration into discipleship. The great danger for a person is that though they are not far from the kingdom of God, they are not in it. Almost saved is altogether lost. So it's the man who was almost able to reach and to grab the life preserver before drowning to death. It's being in the kingdom that saves souls, but not being near it. So Jesus makes this clear to him. Let's move on to the personal question. Verse 41, who is the Christ? While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, The son of David. And he said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And if David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. So Jesus turns the tables and questions on them. So watch logic on fire here. You know, that's one thing. I understand a non-believing world is blind, okay? They just don't see there's not, like, you can try to be reasonable and logic with them, and they can't even do that, okay? But it's one of those things, when Jesus steps in and speaks, you've got to be confronted with it. That's one reason why a person doesn't want to reason with us as Christians, because they're like, whoa, this is a reasonable faith. This isn't a blind faith. This makes sense. There are claims made, but there's proof to back up those claims, and they know if they get logic about those, logical about those things, that they're going to have some responsibility, and they don't like that part. So, Jesus here, okay, you don't hear Jesus give, just believe, you know, the teaching here. Instead, he said, hey, come, let us reason together. And that's the invitation God gives to us. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, I think it is. Hey, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. So Jesus here quotes for us Psalm 110. Okay, the psalm most frequently quoted in all of the New Testament is always Psalm 110. Okay, everything seems to go back to Psalm 110. So he steps on their self-proclaimed uh, superiority here of the scriptures. So how can the Messiah be David's son and therefore inferior and also David's Lord, therefore being superior? They understood that thinking. In Jesus' day, if you were a descendant, a descendant was always inferior to their ancestor. So how can you be both David's Lord and be his descendant? 
Only Christ, who is fully man and fully divine, can be both Lord and descendant. Okay? So when people have a hard time believing that Jesus is God, take them to Psalm 110. Take them to this passage. Hey, let's reason together. How can this be? Well, he's a fully God-man. You know, it's the only way that these prophecies can be fulfilled. Paul said, and you can look at the bottom here, Romans 1.3, he said it very plainly for you and I, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power. Okay? Straightforward. So, I want to close with a poem because I like poems. If Christ is not divine, go seal again the tomb. Take down the cross, redemption sign. Quench all the stars of hope that shine. And let us turn and travel on across the night that knows no dawn. Walter Mayer wrote that. So I want to end with a personal question for all of us. What do you think about Christ? That is the most important part of who you are. What do you think about Jesus? God bless you, and thanks for listening to today's message. For more information on Freedom Fellowship Church or to hear other teachings, please visit our website, cometofreedom.com, or interact with us at facebook.com slash church.